we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave, and it's uh, good to worship with you uh, here this morning, and I pray that um, most of you that may be joining us via live stream this morning, I pray that this would be a time of uh, rejoicing and celebration for you as well. Um, and so that's what we come to do, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, he is, in fact, alive, and we want to rejoice and we want to worship this morning. And so to kind of help us uh, to do that, I want to open us up to a call to worship. Actually, before I do that, uh, I just want to remind you that as part of our celebration, we want to invite you uh, after the service for some food and fellowship. Um, and so that'll be after the service. Uh, it'll be in the back of the church. And uh, as you are uh, lines are, are inevitable as we are making our way and grabbing some food. So uh, as you're doing that, just uh, continue just to put some space between you and the person in front of you. And, um, and obviously, as you're eating outside and, and conversing and, and, um, and having refreshments, obviously, you can keep your masks off. Uh, but when you do come, if you do come back inside, whether it's to use a restroom or whatever else, we ask that you do uh, put your mask back on. So with all that being said, let me read to us our call to worship, which is found in John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Let's go to the Lord and let's worship him this morning. Amen. Amen, church. Let's, uh, let's stand in worship and remembrance and celebration.
this guy. This is why we worship you this morning in, in, in worship and praising you for you are not dead, but you are alive. You have risen, Lord, from the grave, and we are here to celebrate that, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for the, the grace, Lord, that you've placed over us. Um, and I pray, God, that as we now uh, continue into your word, may you be worshipped and glorified, Lord, that you may speak into our hearts uh, and God, that, that, that you may uh, truly, truly, Lord, help us uh, to look at, uh, at our own lives, uh, but also, Lord, uh, for us to exalt you um, in this day. God, we, we, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, uh, you may be seated. I have a special scripture reading this morning. From Romans chapter 10, uh, verses 8 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart 
that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Church, let's uh, let's stand one more time. Um, feel free to stay seated uh, for those. Uh, but this is a this is a beautiful song for us to meditate in. Um, let's do that. and peace.
I'm going to read to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 12 to 22. Meet us in a time of prayer, then we'll get into the word this morning. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. When we did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Let's pray. Holy and righteous Father, our faith rests and Jesus Christ from the dead. Our entire life is driven by the reality that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And today, Lord, our, our hearts are full of hope because the tomb where Jesus was buried is empty. But if that tomb were still occupied by the body of Christ, then our lives would be utterly futile. If Christ had not risen then we gather for nothing. Christ's resurrection is a, is, a, is a guarantee of our future resurrection, but if Christ is not risen, then the only outcome that awaits us is to simply return to the ground from which we were taken and cease to exist. Without the resurrection of Christ, there is no point of preaching the gospel. No gospel without the resurrection. Without the resurrection, we have nothing else to look forward to after this life. No glorified body, no eternal dwelling, no sinless world, and no unending joy. Lord, and if that is the case, then there's, no, there's nothing else to do in this world but to simply eat and drink and make this life as comfortable and as happy as possible because nothing comes after but the Apostle Paul tells us, but, but Christ has been risen from the dead. The tomb is now empty. Death could not hold Jesus. Satan has been defeated. The wrath of God for our sins has been appeased. Christ lives again. Lord, so we rejoice this morning for what you have done for us. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our praise for you are the son of God who created all things and you came into this world and you lived as a man and you died on the cross as a criminal and rose again fully vindicated. And now you are seated at the right hand of God where all things are put under your dominion. The rulers, the principalities, the angels, the authorities in the heavenly places now see the risen Christ seated on the throne as King and Lord. And one day, all people everywhere, past, present, future, everyone will see Jesus Christ seated on the throne and every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And your saints especially will rejoice and honor and worship you as the crowned King of all. As one song says, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon the throne. 
Hark how the heavenly anthems drown, all music but its own. Awake, my soul, and sing of him who died for thee, and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Lord, we praise you and we worship you. And it's because of and through the resurrection that we can pray today the prayer that you have taught us in your word. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So please turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. I'll be reading verses 1 through 10 this morning. Matthew 28, pick it up in verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So he departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Just the word of the Lord. Lord, we come before you this morning. Lord, and we pray for the preaching of your word. Lord, some of us need a resurrection this morning. Maybe, maybe we feel cold and lifeless. Maybe we feel distant from you. Some of us perhaps feel dead inside because of their sins. Maybe there was an argument with a spouse. Maybe there's anger or frustration because of the struggles of getting children ready in the morning. Lord, there may be some here this morning who who need a resurrection from the dead who do not believe in you and are in desperate need to be born again. Lord, so we pray that through your word that you would make us come alive this morning. That no matter what's happened this past week, no matter what's even happened this morning, that through your spirit and through your word that you would cause our hearts to be fully alive to the resurrection of Christ and that our hearts would rejoice and that your word would also prick the conscience of those who may not follow you, that they may turn to Christ and experience a spiritual rebirth, a spiritual resurrection from the dead. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. There was one couple who traveled to particular region in Italy for some needed vacation and for the holidays. And during their time there, seven days into their holiday getaway, 
she describes, she says this, seven days in, I was woken at about half past three in the morning by severe tremors that were making the bed shake violently. At first, I thought it was Nick making a prolonged performance of turning over in his sleep. But when I looked over, he was still. Half asleep, I couldn't work out what was happening. I hesitated in waking up Nick because I thought I was probably being too dramatic. Then the tremors moved up a gear and the whole house began to shake. It sounded like an old train carriage rattling, shifting backwards and forwards, then side to side. It was a bone-jarring feeling. My God, I thought, this is an earthquake. I shook Nick awake. If I was going to die, I didn't want to be alone. He had been fast asleep and woke up with a shock. Looking back now, I wonder why we didn't run out of the house as far away as possible. Yet our instinct was to stay put. So we clung to each other in bed, terrified and waiting for the worst to happen. The earth rumbling below us was such a disorienting feeling. All I could imagine was a crack opening beneath me and then me falling in. We watched as household objects slid and then crashed to the floor, wondering where it would end. And then it stopped. Just like that. The whole experience had lasted less than a minute. All that noise and movement was replaced by an eerie silence. Everything was still except for a gaudy old chandelier that we had inherited and that now swung from side to side. There were frequent tremors in the following two weeks, and we kept the front door key in the lock in case we had to make a quick escape. Our neighbors were so frightened that they slept in their cars and only felt comfortable talking to us outside our house. Others pitched tents in their gardens. Everyone went back to work, but looked weary and exhausted. I bet that most of us here have never experienced a feeling of absolute terror and fear, a paralyzing kind of dread. On this Easter morning, as we look to our passage, we see a combination of this paralyzing fear, but also a feeling of great joy and excitement. Now the question is, which of those feelings would you rather experience? So really the choice is up to you and it is up to me. So then looking back to our passage, first I want to draw our attention to a spectacular fear. So this the resurrection story begins by Mary and this other Mary, Mary who is the mother of James the Younger. Uh, who was a disciple of Jesus. So not to be confused with James, the son of Zebedee, considered one of the sons of thunder, another of Jesus' disciples. But James was a common name in Old Testament, so if your name is James, that's pretty good for you because you can either be named after James the Younger, who's a disciple, or James, the son of thunder, which is a pretty cool title, or James, the brother of Jesus, who became a pretty prominent leader in God's church. So they are, we have these two Marys approaching the tomb to visit the body of Jesus. And then they go to the tomb, and then there's an earthquake. Earthquakes often in the Old Testament were incredible acts of God, sometimes an act of judgment, or sometimes an act that the prelude to a divine act of God. Regardless, something incredible, something supernatural was happening. There was an earthquake. The ground beneath them was beginning to shake. And it tells us that it was because an angel from the Lord descended from heaven and caused the stone that sealed the tomb of Jesus to roll to the side. And it tells us that the angel, so if it, if it wasn't terrifying enough that the, earth, that the earth beneath you is shaking, this angel from heaven descends. And it tells us his description, that his appearance was like lightning. And that his clothes were white as snow. So you couldn't stare directly into this angel. And it tells us that the guards were like dead men, paralyzed, filled with fear. Because of this combination of an angel and an earthquake. And the women were afraid also. Now why draw out this fear? Right? I mean, this is the resurrection. We're celebrating the resurrection. It's Easter. We should be rejoicing and celebrating full of delights and happiness because Christ is risen from the dead. 
And I will definitely get to that. But one of the reasons I, at least I, I, I draw this, this theme of fear in the passage, one, because it's there, but also because fear is actually a, a pretty, pretty prominent theme in the entire Bible. Oftentimes when you read the scriptures, there's always fear at the presence of God. Maybe it'll come before him or fear because of the judgment of God or the incredible acts of God. But it's also a different kind of fear that the Bible speaks of, having the fear of God. And that kind of fear is a kind of reverential fear, a fear that respects God, a fear that lives under the reality of God, that God is real, that God created all things, that God knows all things, that God sees all things, that God even knows the thoughts of our minds, the things that we utter under our lips, that this God is omnipotent. He can do anything, and he does as he pleases. So the kind of fear that the Bible commands all people everywhere to have is a kind of fear that lives under the reality of God and submits to him and follows him and trusts in him. And when you don't have that kind of reverential fear, the Bible warns us that it actually will give way to a terrifying, paralyzing kind of fear. I remember going to the movies several years ago to watch the, the, the Spider-Man movie, that the, the new generation of Spider-Man movies. And I went with my wife and my friends, and so we went to see it, and I, I remember the moment distinctly when Spider-Man Peter Parker is, goes on a prom night, goes to pick up the girl that he romantically likes, and he opens, he rings the doorbell, opens the door, and you just are absolutely shocked. Because the person who opens the door is the villain of the movie. But you didn't know the entire time that the villain of the movie is the father of the girl that Peter Parker romantically likes and is bringing to the prom. And so the entire time, you're kind of filled with a little anxiety and, and worry, like, oh my gosh, what is going to happen? I remember my wife clutching my arm. She's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Because you have no idea what to expect. You have no idea how is he going to find out. I mean, is, is this guy going to find out that the kid that he's driving to the prom is his arch nemesis. A lot of things happen when we, are, when we get afraid, when we get anxious, or we might clutch someone's arm for comfort, we might sweat, we might shake, we might bite our nails, and people will do a lot of different things to find comfort in their anxiety and in their stress and in their fear. Right? Some might find comfort in food. Some might find comfort in drinking. Some might find comfort in just terrible and destructive habits. Some might even find comfort in social media as a way of distraction or maybe pursuing likes to give comfort to their anxiety and distress. All those who do not have now the kind of fear that the Lord commands of all people, the kind of fear that submits to God and respects him and submits to him and trusts him, will one day be filled with a paralyzing fear. And, from that, and in that paralyzing and, and terrifying and bone-jarring fear, no one will be able to find any comfort. Romans 2.5 tells us, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing see for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, but who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. Galatians 5.19 tells us, Now the works of the flesh are evident. And by the way, 
we tend to think of evil, we tend to think of the most heinous, the most abominable, the most destructive kind of acts. And that's certainly true, but the Bible has a broader definition of evil to even include the works of the flesh. Galatians 5.19 tells us that the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Revelation 6.12 speaks of the great day of the Lord. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who was seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Many people will come to the great day of the Lord, and they will be utterly terrified. And they will realize that I was wrong about life. I was wrong about the truth that I held. Because they will realize that God is real. And that they should have been living for him. Many will come to that great day of the Lord and will not tremble. They will not fear, though they should. Because such individuals will be trusting, perhaps, in their own good works to save them in that great day of judgment. But to trust in, one, in one's own works, Jonathan Edwards, the Puritan, would say, it's, like, it's as futile as expecting a spider's web to catch a falling rock. They will come to the realization, the terrifying realization that their good works actually have achieved nothing. There are some who will come to the day of judgment thinking that they have done right. They'll come before the Lord and say, well, God, I've done so many of all these things in your name. I have performed miracles in your name. I have preached the gospel in your name. And they will be absolutely shocked and terrified. Because the, the heart will be fully open to reveal that perhaps they've been doing things for, maybe for, for profit, for gain. They've been doing these things in the name of the Lord, perhaps for, to get, gain a good reputation. Or maybe perhaps because the message that they preach doesn't match the lifestyle. There will be people at the end who will be filled with terror and dread. It will be a bone-jarring experience. And at that great day of the Lord, nobody will be able to find comfort in anything. And that is why it is incredibly, incredibly important, right, that we pursue our greatest comfort in Christ because Christ is our comfort in that day of judgment. So as we read this paralyzing fear, we also read of a magnificent comfort. So we do see, even though there is this incredible, this bone-jarring fear that the women and especially the soldiers experience, there is some semblance of comfort in the passage. First, right, we see the earthquake, incredibly terrifying. Now, at the crucifixion of Jesus, when he died, there was also an earthquake. So it seems like the earth, 
who once opened to receive the body of Jesus is now opening again to let out the dead, which we see in the empty tomb. Jesus at his crucifixion experienced nothing but silence. There was nobody there to plead his case. There was nobody there to, 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 to protect them, to fight for his case. There's nobody there who is crying out. Not the voice of heaven coming from God. There are no angels to minister to the Lord Jesus. Everything is absolutely silent. But then what we read here is that heaven is silent no more. An angel from heaven descends, removes the stone, and declares that Jesus has, in fact, risen from the dead. Right? And then there's the empty tomb. The women are called to go and see for themselves that there's no body in there. That Christ, in fact, has been risen from the dead. So the angel says to the women, Behold, and he commands us to come and see the empty tomb, and he then commands them to go and tell. So they go, make their way quickly, and then on their way to go tell Jesus' disciples, they run into Jesus who appears to them, he says, greetings. And so here are the women, they behold Jesus, they come to Jesus, they fall down and worship Jesus, and Jesus tells them to go and tell. And the fact that they come and approach Jesus means that it was Jesus himself, that he was in back in his body. That this wasn't just like a ghost, something terrifying, something scary. This isn't like the sixth sense. You're like, I see dead people. This wasn't that at all. This was the women recognizing that this was, in fact, Jesus. And Jesus tells them to not be afraid. And they worship him. They draw near to Jesus. They fall down before him and they worship him. So Jesus, Jesus has always had this inviting presence. And we see that it is no different after his resurrection. And this is quite spectacular, given that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God come down from heaven, born of a virgin, lived as a man, lived a sinless, perfect, righteous life, died on the cross as a criminal, and rose from the dead, fully vindicated, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, who is God, who created the world by the word of his power. Jesus Christ, who maintains and sustains the word, the world by the word of his power. Jesus, who's the omnipotent God, who understands, who knows all things. Jesus, who healed the sick, raised the dead back to life. Jesus, who is God, who is full of splendor and glory and divinity, yet veiled in human form. This Jesus has always been in the pursuit of sinners. Jesus has always exuded this warm and inviting presence. He surrounds himself with 12 disciples who follow him wherever they go, whom he calls friends. More than that, he even calls them brothers. This Jesus, who is completely holy, is unafraid to go and touch the leper, while many others would keep their distance. Jesus, this God, sympathized and sat down and even reclined at table to eat with sinners. So often he did that, that even the rest of the world considered Jesus to be a sinner himself because he was so closely associated with sinners. Jesus cared for the crippled cared for the needy. This Jesus, who had this perfect fellowship and love and communion with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit from the beginning of all things, makes friends. The disciples makes friends with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Because Jesus had compassion on people. He would even go and have a conversation with a Samaritan woman 
was disgraced by everybody else because of her ethnicity and because she was an immoral woman. Jesus always, always drew near to sinners because he was so drawn to sinners. Sinners were also drawn to him. And so what we see in the presence of Christ is that in the presence of Christ, we have incredible comfort. The presence of Christ is our shield in that great day of judgment. And God, we have to be careful that we don't have an incorrect picture of who God is, right? God is not a villain, and Jesus being the hero who protects us from the villain who is God, right? God, yes, must judge sin. God, yes, must, ex- must express his anger and indignation toward human sin. But let's also remember what John 3.16 says, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. God is the one who put this plan in motion of sending his son into the world to reconcile his people to himself. This was God's plan. Because although God is a righteous God, he's also a God of compassion and love. And we see that so vividly in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we need not fear and tremble before God, right, if we have given our lives to following Jesus Christ. Romans 3.22 tells us, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was God. This was God's kindness and grace to us by sending his son into the world to die on the cross for our sins and be raised from the dead three days later. Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This is one of the purposes for which God sent his son into the world so that Jesus can abide with his people. This is absolutely amazing that Jesus desires to make his home with sinners. But not only does Jesus go so far as saving us and rescuing us from our sins and the penalty that our sins deserve, but he even desires to make his home with us. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, ascended into the right hand of God, and at that moment descended the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit is the means by which Jesus resides in the life of every single one who is a follower of Jesus Christ. And just as Jesus would oftentimes sit and recline with sinners. So Jesus regularly visits with us through his abiding Holy Spirit. He abides with us so closely and so intimately that we, the Bible even says that we are united with Jesus Christ. The thing that Jesus knows our hearts better than we do, that Jesus knows our struggles, that Jesus knows our sins the things that we mutter under our breath, the thoughts that we have. And Jesus still abides with us. If we closely consider our sins, how much we may not desire God, how often we sin, we might think ourselves so vile and so undeserving of his comfort. And yet, the Lord doesn't just see you as how you think you see yourself. He doesn't just see you as you are now, but he also sees you as what you will become. See, Jesus is not as in this, he doesn't come and abide with us to take us through this process of self-progression or self-productivity. He's not taking us through this process of making us better people 
or better human beings, but Jesus is after something much bigger. Jesus abides with every single one of you to take you through a process of transformation because his goal is to conform you into his image. So that means removing the, the dross, the impurities of your faith so that your faith may be purified. It may never be perfect in this life, but Jesus takes us to that process of transformation. And sometimes it's painful, but that is why you have the abiding presence of Christ in you. To comfort you. To encourage you. Mary and this other Mary drew near to Jesus when they saw him and they worshipped him. They drew close to him. But you are much more, are much closer to him now than they were. Because Jesus, through his abiding Holy Spirit, has made his home with you. And so be encouraged. This is what we receive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's incredible joy and comfort to the Christian. Jesus is our protector. Jesus is our comforter when we get to that day of judgment. So we rejoice in that. And not only that, but we follow the example of what we see in the scriptures. We go and we tell. Behold Jesus by going to his word. Behold Jesus by praying to the Lord. Behold Jesus by coming each week. But don't just stop there. Go and tell as well. And dear friends, we're here this morning and you don't follow the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you don't have that reverence that we're all called to have, the Bible warns that if you lack that fear and reverence now, one day you will have a paralyzing and bone-jarring fear because everyone will stand before the great day of the Lord. You have never been closer to the Lord today, right now, in this moment, than you ever have before. And it's not because we're just in, the, in this building, but because you are surrounded by many people who are filled with the presence of Christ. But the moment that you leave these doors, you'll be far and distant from the Lord. We have no idea what the outcome of our life will be. We have no idea how our lives will end. All that we know is that our lives will end someday. We don't, know, we don't know when. But that means that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to find comfort in Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Trust in him. Follow him. If you have any, idea, if you have any questions of what that looks like, what does it mean to follow Jesus, I'd be more than happy to talk with you. But the important thing is, is that you don't leave here without at least asking some questions. And knowing what this, what following Christ is like. So believe in the Lord Jesus. Trust in him. And it's not something that is difficult. All it requires is that you confess. You are a sinner in need of the righteous salvation of Jesus Christ. And asking the Lord to come into your life and transform your heart making a commitment to follow and to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you will be saved. You'll receive the abiding comfort of Christ and you need not have any worry or fear about the great day of the Lord. So trust in him today. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving us this incredible comfort that comes in Jesus, through Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that you may continue to abide with us in an in, in a increasing manner. Pray that you would continue to take us, Lord, through this process of being transformed and conformed to the image of Jesus. Lord, we trust you for these things. We thank you and we rejoice because you are alive and that tomb is empty. You have risen from the dead. 
And so our faith rests in you. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. One way that we can celebrate together the resurrection of Jesus Christ is by taking communion together. And so I don't know if, if, you, if you came in this morning and didn't grab your communion cup and bread, you can get up and uh, as I'm walking us through this. But this is a helpful and tangible way that we can be reminded of what Christ has done for us on the cross. The Lord Jesus instituted this, the Lord's Supper, moments before his crucifixion, telling us that this bread represents his body that was bruised on our behalf, and the cup represents his blood that was shed for the remission of our sins. So taking this communion together is a means of comfort because it reminds us of what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. It reminds us that Jesus is no longer dead, but he is alive, he is risen, and he continues to abide with us. And so, so even if you have, I don't know what your week has been like, maybe there's a particular sin you're just struggling with, maybe you, just, maybe you came here just in a bad mood because of something that happened this morning or last night, maybe you feel like you're not worthy of taking this supper before the Lord. But I want to exhort you, I want to encourage you to take it with us anyway. Just remember the abiding and the inviting presence of the Lord Jesus Christ who is always drawn to sinners. And Jesus means to encourage you this morning that even whatever it is that's happened, whatever happened this morning, whatever sins you might be struggling with, Jesus invites you to take this meal as his adopted brother or sister. And so this is for anybody who has professed faith in Jesus Christ, who trusts in Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is for anyone whose life is characterized by the repentance that we're all called to have, a turning away from sin, and a turning to Christ. This is for anyone whose life is characterized by the holiness that God requires of us, though not sinless perfection, This is for anyone who has received baptism. So whether you are a member of Seacoast Community Church or not, we invite you as a brother or sister to take this family meal with us. But if you have yet to trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, if your life doesn't show this kind of reverential fear that that we all are called to have for God through Jesus Christ, then we just ask that you would not take this with us, not as a form of judgment, or anything like that, but the scriptures warn that anybody who takes this in an unworthy manner that is apart from faith in Christ drinks judgment on themselves. And I would want to spare you of that judgment. So let me read to us from 1 Corinthians 11. Read a passage, then we'll take the bread. Read another passage, and then we'll take the cup, and then, uh, then I'll pray, and then we'll worship the Lord through another song. First Corinthians 11, 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we've come before you once more, and we we come as your adopted sons and daughters. We come as your family. God, and we, we thank you for the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. We thank you, God, for your sacrifice and sending your son to die for us. And we also worship and thank you 
because Christ has risen from the dead, assuring us of our salvation, assuring us of our hope in God, assuring us of eternal life. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Praise God. Let's stand in and worship in response of the word and today.
He is risen. Romans 14, verses 8, verses 7 through 9. It says, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself, but for, for we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Praise God. Uh, Church, God bless you. You are dismissed.